Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. About 100 people sent me this NBC News article that I linked in the description to this video about a, an ER physician in Wisconsin and his hemonc uh, physician wife who have gone through this, it can only be described as a freaking hellish ordeal uh, that has to do with allegations of child abuse for their newly... Uh, in the process of being adopted newborn baby. Now they have two other children. They're both sort of respected physicians in the community. Um, this is the basic story. And again, I'm not gonna do it justice. And then we're gonna talk about it because this thing has been bothering me quite a bit. So again, when about 100 people send you an article, it's clearly hitting some emotional resonance. So I read the article, it was very long. And as I was reading the story, I got progressively more outraged and until I got to the end. And then it's funny because the reporter put some more balanced stuff at the end. And I was like, wait, 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 I'm falling into this trap. And let's, let's, so let's talk about it. This is, <clears throat> this is the deal. This emergency physician and his wife, again, respected members of the community, and I don't know them personally, adopted two previous children, two boys, and were adopting, in the process of adopting, this brand new newborn girl. The punch, the sort of paraphrasing phrasing of the story is that the wife was out of town going to a conference, the husband was at home managing the baby doting on the baby by the reports of the family, right? Uh, uh, you know, cuddling, doing all this stuff. So at some point, he takes the baby out of the crib. This is his report. And is cuddling the baby and falls asleep with the baby next to him, which everybody knows you're not supposed, well, not everybody, we've done videos on this. You're not supposed to co-sleep, okay? You're just not, because uh, it can be very dangerous, especially your big old dude, a little baby, you roll over, you do something wrong. So this is his side of the story now. Um, wakes up, hears the baby crying, realizes he's fallen asleep, is worried that he has hurt the baby by laying on it wrong. And since he's an emergency physician, is concerned that there's a collarbone clavicle fracture because of the signs, the way the baby's holding the arm, something like that. So he starts, he starts crying, panics, calls the wife. Um, wife says, you know, you should we should treat the baby like any other baby and take the child to the emergency department or to the pediatrician. I forget what exactly what it was. So they did. And the pediatrician, someone well-known to them, well-known in the community, by all reports, wonderful physician, noticed on the, the, the child, first of all, there was the injury and they did x-rays, but I think the original, the Initial x-rays didn't show much, and that can happen even in acute fractures because you don't have time to see any evidence of healing, which shows up easier on x-ray. 
Uh, and again, I'm not a pediatrician, so some of this stuff take with a grain of salt when I talk about this shit. I'm basically parroting what I've been told about this case. And as as so, the pediatrician notices. Well, okay, first of all, there's a strange mechanism. So you know, falling asleep on baby's not really going to break its clavicle, and there's some there was a concern of some bruising on the child that was unexplained. And again, I'm paraphrasing, and I may not be getting the story entirely correct. So he tells the doctor, who, again, they have a long relationship, the father, he says, look, um, I need to be treat you like anybody else, and it's breaking my heart, but I have to report this to the standard channels of the child abuse sort of protocol they have because I have to treat you like anyone else. And, and so... You know, the doctor, the father was like, sure, that's fine, of course, and didn't think anything would come of it. Well, this activates a cascade, which is described in the article, which you should read, which involves the child abuse, pediatricians, nurse practitioners, team and all getting involved, a bunch of testing being done, including blood testing to see if there was a tendency to easy bruising in the child or some other reason that bruises would be present a lot of controversy as to whether there were bruises or whether these are just skin lesions, but there were apparently a couple of bruises that weren't fully explained, although later the some outside medical authorities were brought in and said, oh, this could be due to you know, the father burping the baby, baby hard with a ring on or something like that. And Now, this was part of the articles. As they're telling this story, you know, first of all, this escalated fast. The next thing you know, and again, I'm cutting the chase, Child Protective Services has taken this baby away. Remember, this baby is not adopted yet. It's in the process of being adopted. So the parents don't have the standard rights that normal parents would have. So now this child is taken away and was not returned uh, to this family. Fast forward several months later, the husband is arrested and charged with child abuse. And that that's the 30,000-foot story you have to read the piece to get the details told really from the family side. And I have to emphasize this because the family had other, you know, outside medical experts weigh in and agreed that, no, this could have been just purely accidental. These bruises weren't real, whatever it was. There was a whole list of details there, all right? So you read it and you get very upset. You think, okay, the way that the article is portraying this um, whole situation is that, and by the way, now the family's under a gag order, Okay. But that hasn't, you know, hasn't stopped people from weighing in on the internet. Um, you know, if you, if you look at the story, you, you go, okay, it's it's clear that the child abuse specialists are abusing their authority. There, you know, some allegations that they ask, you know, physicians to document things differently so that there's a stronger case for child abuse. You know, all these this other allegations in there that there's a kind of a group think going on, that uh, they have way too much power, and so on and so forth. And so that's the spin on this article. Now, one thing to remember is that this particular reporter has written about this subject over a couple other articles. So this is a subject near and dear to this reporter's heart. So there's already a kind of a leaning towards, okay, there's this pre-existing feeling that these child abuse specialists, who by the way are pediatricians and nurse practitioners and other staff, it's a relatively new specialty, I think 2009, uh, so it's clear that that's the bias of the article is like, oh my gosh, these people have too much power. They're 
accusing an innocent physician and his physician wife, both of whom are white, by the way. And one of the things that's interesting is that the whole thing of this piece is normally you wouldn't even hear these stories, right? But the fact is they're both affluent white people. Let's be honest. So the news gets involved because people are accused of child abuse every single day. And actually there is, I have to look at the exact study, but there is some more data that people tend to suspect it in racial minorities more than they do in the affluent white people. And what you have to remember, one thing that I would like you to remember is that anybody can abuse a child. Uh, so we'll get back to that. Uh, and I want to, I want to, and actually look, Ms. Goody Tushu says this, anyone can be an abuser. CPS is correct to remove the child because the alternative can be deadly to the child. Okay, so let's get into this. Um, and I've had to think a lot about this and I'm probably wrong on most things, but I'm going to tell you what I think. Um, so you finish reading the article and by the way, by the end of the article, enough doubt had been introduced into my mind that I, I said, you know, I'm not sure that I can judge this case as an armchair quarterback. And so I put it out to the ZPAC and I said, look, when I read this, I want to scream, but it'd be irresponsible because we can't know what's going on. So weigh in, tell me what you think. And, you know, hundreds of anecdotes and comments. And what's interesting, though, is I got some interesting messages on both sides of this. The messages in support of this family were, again, anecdotal and that sort of thing. The messages from the child abuse community went something like this. You can't know the real details of this case yet because the caring team, in other words, a team that's managing this, is bound by HIPAA. They have to make sure they don't taint the legal case. And they're bound by all the professional stuff that binds us as physicians when the press does a piece about us that may have no merit, but we have trouble responding. Remember the Baltimore patient dumping case? Remember, um, you know, Mayo patient kidnapping case? There's all these cases where it's sensationalized in the press as some egregious abuse of the healthcare system, but then you can't hear the other side of the story. And when I hear that story privately, I think, hmm, hmm. So here's the deal here. We have this couple, they're both physicians, my instinct is to protect and support them because I put myself in their shoes. What if I was falsely accused of child abuse? And I'll tell you, this is personal for me because I abuse both my children on a daily basis. I'm kidding. Because I have had to take my youngest daughter to the emergency department. How many times? Twice. Once she never made it to the emergency department because I was able to fix the dislocated elbow. And the second time I took her because she lacerated her chin. And this is how that went down. The first time, so she was rolling on the ground. She was like four or five. Rolled on her belly and suddenly screamed in pain. And me and my wife were like, what the hell is that about? We couldn't figure it out. And then she's holding her hand, like their arm like this. And then I, it, I was like, wait, this feels like this could be a dislocated elbow. She just did that rolling over. Oh my God. If I take her to the ER, they're going to think I did this. Because how can that, it's nursemaid's elbow is the typical thing. You're pulling on the child, right? But neither one of us did. And we were both there going, oh my God. So I drive her in. And as I'm driving, I call my 
pediatric colleague, Dr. Harry up. And I'm like, Harry, how do you re- how do you relocate a dislocated elbow? And he tells me, and I asked my baby who's in the back holding her arm and I go, would you like me to take you to the doctor and they can fix your elbow? Or would you like, would you give me a chance to fix it right here? And I pulled over and I fixed it. And she was so happy. You should have seen her face. She was just like, daddy is my hero. That was one of the highlights of fatherdom for me. But again, it spared me this having to go to the ER and explain, oh, you know, my kid just rolled over. But apparently that happens. That's not an uncommon mechanism of dislocating elbows. The second one, she had, she had, she was playing, it was like Thanksgiving and she's playing. I told you guys the story when it happened, she's playing on the floor being crazy before bed. And she's like doing this thing where she's trying this weird yoga pose on the floor and she slips out and her chin hits the floor and there's a huge laceration right there. And I go to the ER and I'm like, I know what you're thinking. How does a kid do this to themselves? But apparently there is a mechanism of injury there where that can happen. But I was, I was actually nervous. I was like, you know what? I don't want to be like misbranded as some kind of child abuser. Lucky again, like all the extended family was there to witness this and all that. So there's already that weird paranoia, especially as a male, you get this feeling that like people are just going to think you're an asshole and some kind of child abuser. So when I read this story, I was like, hmm, this is no good initially. I was like, these poor people, they are getting absolutely abused by the system. Now, as I processed it more, and as people reached out to me after I posted the article, they said the child abuse specialists, okay, first of all, the literature on this stuff, some of which was written by one of the child abuse specialists at the hospital that was treating, and it was his hospital. So already there's all kinds of conflicts and terrible shit going on here, right? It's terrible. The whole story is awful. I feel for everybody involved, right? It's terrible. So there's a lot of literature on like how you get bruises and how you get you know broken clavicles and all of that. And there's this idea of sentinel injuries. So you see these smaller injuries and bruises, and it, it is often presages a major injury. It means that there's some abuse going on that is early and it can progress. And so there's a whole kind of body of knowledge on this and specialty on this. Now, the thing with child abuse specialists is they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. If they don't follow up and the kid dies of some abuse, they're to blame. If they follow up and it's premature and it's not right, they're to blame. And so it's very, it's a very tough position to be in. It's a thankless job and it's one of the lower paying specialties. So they're doing it for hardly any money and it's a very hard job. And I had a few reach out to me actually on both sides of this. So a couple had told me, you know, we do tend, there's a group think among our specialty. Uh, There's a lot of pushing to try to like, you know, make these cases. And then there were people who wrote in and said, you know, this is, a great example of how misunderstood this is and how we can't even fight back because we're bound by HIPAA and all of this. And this should be something decided by the courts in a proper legal case instead of the court of public opinion. And of course, NBC and the press are going to get huge, huge clicks from a story like this because it creates emotional outrage. And we ought to be looking at this from a rational standpoint. And yes, the family has the right to have the press involved and to publicize their case. And yes, um, there's a legal case here. So now they're all, everybody's on gag orders, right? But that was before they, they were able to talk to the, or after they were able to talk to the, the press. So this becomes now a total shit show 
now you have this piece out that's really galvanized everybody, right? That that people are outraged. And now you have a legal case. And then, of course, you have the child who's taken away from the parents. So there's no happy ending here. But what we have to understand, and I, and I, you know, when I posted the article, I thought I'd framed it in a vague enough way to let people decide. But I must have, by even mentioning that I got emotionally uh, um, responsive to the piece, you know, it, it primed people to just be absolutely outraged. Um, the truth is, we have to look, we have to let this process play out. If if there's innocence here and there's medical experts to show it, then it will be shown. They have the resources to to, to do it. It's not like, you know, they're relying on, you know, the, the, this is a, uh, a family that is going to be victimized by the criminal justice system. They have resources to fight back, unlike many who might be actually legitimately victimized, as they might be as well. We just don't know. And that's the point is it's very hard to come down one side or the other on this beyond talking about the issues. And the issues are we need a good science of what constitutes child abuse. We need good prevention measures, and we need good detection measures, and we do need to be vigilant. Now, here's the most important part. Just because you are a Caucasian physician couple doesn't mean you can't be abusing a child. And here's a story that follows this up. There was a very prominent, much beloved emergency physician, and I won't name him, it's all public, I had met him at emergency conferences. Many of my ER colleagues uh, really respected this guy, fantastic teacher, um, really an advocate against like pharma abuse and other things like that. By all accounts, a wonderful human being. He was accused of sexually, like basically, you know, I forget what it was, whether it was drugging patients in the emergency department and masturbating basically sexually assaulting people in the emergency department. And every single person who knew the guy was like, no way, this is an injustice. If there were a news article that could have been done on it, they would have done it. And through the legal process, which of course you can't be privy to until it all unfolds, it became 100% clear that he was guilty of this and he was convicted I don't know if he admitted it. I think they found DNA on one of the, it was, it was terrible. It was terrible, right? And everybody was like, what? And now he's in jail. And so the point is, we really have to be careful of bias. In the end, this article, we have to recognize our bias. This article is all about bias. The article itself, the news article, is accusing the care team, the pediatric child abuse specialists, of bias, that they're basically saying this is abuse when it's not. I'm saying let's, and the child abuse specialists are saying, hey, if anything, we're biased in favor of this guy because we want to believe that an affluent professional who's in our profession couldn't do this and believe his stories about falling asleep on his child and breaking. So by the way, later they did a follow-up x-ray and there was a healing clavicle fracture. So the original diagnosis of clavicle fracture was correct that he made. Um, and again, it's kind of 
and this is something that where you have to look at the science. Can you do that by co-sleeping with a child? Is that something that you see? Um, so again, bias, bias, bias. So I would implore people, let's stay out of this until the process unfolds. If there's, you know, some other evidence comes to light that, okay, the whole thing is we're looking at it wrong, then it will come to light. These guys are pushing it, right? It's not like they're lying down and taking this. And I understand why they would go to the press and all that, but we have to understand that we have to not paint all these child abuse specialists with this brush, right? It's the same when, you know, when we talked about the kind of overly aggressive lactation counselor, right? When I did that metamoji. You can't paint, you don't paint all lactation counselors with that brush. You don't say, oh, you know, they're all breast Nazis. But you go, okay, there, there are some aspects here that could be improved upon, right? And that may be true with the child abuse specialist as well. But again, the kind of emotion and the kind of response that this particular article triggers is very out of proportion to how rational we should be behaving in these cases. So I hope that makes some sense. Let's read some comments. Um, and, and by the way, you're going to get tons of stories and anecdotes relating to these issues, tons of them. So Andrew Dunbar just sent me 20 bucks, so I'm going to answer his comment first. An acquaintance of mine went through the hell of watching his wife be convicted of third-degree murder based on a diagnosis of shaken baby syndrome. She was exonerated more than 10 years later. Medical legal issues are hard. Right, now this is interesting. So shaken baby syndrome is one that's coming up now for denialism. So people are going out and saying this isn't a real thing or it's being overdiagnosed or whatever and these poor parents are going to jail. And again, I don't know enough about it, but I know that you really just have to look at the science behind what is this, right? And if you understand the science and you can apply it to your patient and the medical legal system actually respects that process, then hopefully you get the right answer. There will always be injustice though, always. You'll always make, there's always a room to make a mistake and have an incorrect conviction and we see it all the time. So it means we have to stay vigilant and keep on top of these things and listen. But again, and what a heartbreaking, horrible thing to happen, right? Um, damned if you do and damned if you don't, says 1970 Amon Dali, who's a supporter uh, on YouTube. Thank you for your support, by the way. Um, it's true and that's the thing. That's what the child abuse, and by the way, these specialists have written to me and they were just, they're like, this is another case of, it's its like shaken baby denialism and they're very frustrated. Now, again, you can imagine if this family has been wrongfully accused, how fr how horrible that is. So you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. This is one of the hardest things. Uh, it's really, really hard. Um, people don't wanna hear that. They want a black or white answer, right? But there just isn't one. You, ha you have to dig into it. Um, Sally Sproul says, as in PEDS ER RN, there are several red flags. First, the abuse team should have turfed that to an outside team. Regardless of the outcome, the conflict of interest was overwhelming. Okay, so the fact that the doctor was in the, in the facility, worked in that ER, there's a conflict there. Now, bioethicists would have, would have a better way to process this than me. But the, but the question is, like, what if there's interpersonal conflict there? What if they've worked together before and they don't like each other? you know, is their bias. So it's, it's hard to say, but this is tough, man. Um, the great comment. Um, let's see. 
Risa Doobie says, uh, who's a supporter for a couple months now, says, luckily, because she gets a yellow badge, luckily my children had all their injuries witnessed, but like most medical professionals, I avoid the ER at all costs. Did a DIY collarbone splint. Yeah, just like I did my own relocation of that nursemaid's elbow. Um, anything to avoid the emergency department. Um, it's very hard to armchair quarterback. Let's see. Honestly, reading through the case, it seems as if the system of checks and balances utterly failed. Uh, Dano Babyful. Okay, so Dano Babyful, let's go through this. Reading through the article, yes, it does seem like that, doesn't it? But could it be wrong? In other words, are we hearing one side? And the answer is yes, we are hearing one side. Because the hospital, and if you look through the article... Here's what you have from the family side and the expert side, the family has contacted. Tons and tons and tons and tons of words. Here's what you have from the hospital side. We retain the confidence in our child abuse specialists and the processing of this very difficult event. That's all they can say because they're bound by professionalism and HIPAA, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They can't go through everything that they are thinking or are processing. And to be honest, you want, you really want this to be adjudicated impartially. Now, whether there's bias there because it's their own institution, man, that's tough. So it's hard. Believe me, when I first read the article, I felt the same way. Honestly, until I got to the end and, and, he, and he started talking about, well, okay, here's some of the other things that you could think about. And I was like, hmm, hmm, we're seeing a one-sided article here. The, 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 you cannot make a determination based on this article. And that's what, that's what we're saying. They could be absolutely innocent, and I'm hoping they are. Because you don't want to think about this kind of thing happening, even though we know it happens, right? And by all descriptions of every friend that's written to me, these are lovely human beings, all right? Um, my Michelle Five, who's a supporter, says, these parents are fortunate they can afford to fight. Many innocent parents cannot, and they uh, need the public to make a noise to shed light on the injustice they're facing. So this is interesting, my Michelle. So the press is, one of its role is to shed light on injustice that otherwise wouldn't have a voice. So you want the press to do this. Like, this is encouraged. Um, but you're right, there's a big class differential here and a race. Let's be honest, there's a racial differential. You know, uh, uh, um, a Latino family comes in, an African-American family comes in, same story. Is there going to be this much hubbub? No, kid's going to be taken away, done, finished, done, because there's bias. And, and I think, honestly, if we don't recognize that there's bias, then we're lying to ourselves. So, and again, I think it's not intentional, but I think, there's bias. And I think people who work on the front lines already know this. I think they already know that there's bias. Um, and you guys know me. I'm not somebody who's like, oh, let's play the victim. You know, we're, we're biased against. It, it's just a fact that this is how humans behave. Just like we're biased to think this guy was innocent because he's a fellow physician, two-physician household. He speaks eloquently about the mechanism of injury that could have happened and all the mistakes that could have been made and he knows to hire medical specialists to counteract and so on. So we're biased to think he's right. And, and he may well be right. Again, I, I'm not taking sides in this. I'm saying our emotional response, our elephant response to this needs to be balanced with a rational writer discussion, which we're trying to have. 
Um, let's scroll back here and see what else we're missing from comments. Um, Ms. Goody Two Shoes says the Amish seem like lovely people too. Child abuse is rampant among them. So this has come out recently, again, more press. So we have to see the legal stuff. But yeah, incest, child abuse, all kinds of terrible things. Tight community, God-fearing people. Um, Erica Black, who's a supporter, CPS where I live is fully aware that my daughter's grandmother frequently makes false accusations against me. They still put me through an investigation every damn time. Mm. I'm not even going to comment on that because that is, and again, these are hard, difficult situations for everybody. Um, Um, Nicole Williams, CPS investigated and cleared us after my daughter had an accident, but I'm still scared now every time she falls or anything, man. Now here's a question, guys. Let me put this to you. Would you rather CPS overreact or underreact? This is a legitimate question. This is like any screening test. You set the sensitivity up or down knowing that you might have more false positives. If you make the sensitivity very high, you catch almost everything that's happening. Your specificity, in other words, how likely is a positive result to be actually positive goes down. So if we make CPS incredibly sensitive to child abuse, there's gonna be a lot of false positives, a lot of families being pulled through the muck that didn't do anything, that are caring parents, victim of an accident like we're hoping the family here is. If you set the sensitivity low, children are going to die or be injured or traumatized for life. Can you see how hard this problem is? This is not a problem where you go, I've got an answer. If you're a politician, if you're fucking Bernie Sanders, you come up and go, this is the thing. We need to do this because this is the thing. Or you're Trump, you come up and you go, yeah, we're gonna do this. It's like black or white for both those guys. It's black or white. But the truth is, it's not a black or white issue. It really isn't. There's not an objective truth here. There's levels of gray. How do we skin this problem? Um, had you know, did you notice my Bernie Sanders impression sounds exactly like my Trump impression? <laughs> um, publicity is likely a horrible, horrendous culprit. Uh, Lane T. Yeah. Barbara Lane. Um, too often there are presumptions that are made without actually gathering all the facts. Heel bruise after the heel stick, right? So there was a bruise on the heel, but it turns out the kid got a heel stick for blood test. Abuse, rolling on a child during co-sleeping. Bruises, which were birthmarks to name a few. So Barbara Lane, that's all what was claimed in the article, that what were called bruises were really birthmarks and a dermatologist looked at them and this and this and this. But we don't have the original medical record. We don't have all the other stuff that what was at the images, et cetera. We cannot make those determinations. Only the courts are going to be able to make that determination because the child protective people, now people are saying, well, no, they're just continuing to pursue it because they don't want to look like they made a mistake. I'd like to think that's not the case, but you never know, right? That could certainly be true. But let's say it's not the case. They're pursuing this because they feel very strongly that this is abuse. Read the criminal complaint if you get a chance. That's available. Someone sent it to me. Read the criminal complaint. And they go through this pretty clearly. And it's interesting because you get a different 
sort of angle on it. And again, who knows what's right? We, we can't adjudicate this. We're not the judge. We're not the jury. We're not hearing the case. So let's be very clear about that. And again, this is life and death stuff for this family. This is their child. And if there's abuse and the child gets returned, the child could die. So it's life and death stuff. Um, Barbara Lane, please don't presume an undersensitive response is the only one that caused damage, leaving a child in abuse. An oversensitive response can also cause, oh, no, no, 100%, Barbara. That's why we say, where do you send, because look, if an over sensitive response didn't cause damage, we would set the sensitivity to 100%. We would basically screen every, we would accuse every injury in the emergency department of child abuse until proven otherwise. That's how we would do it. We don't do that because an overly sensitive response destroys families. It is an act of violence on that family. It is. Mentally, it's an act of violence. Physically, you're taking a child away. Financially, you're harming, I mean, it's on every level, it's an act of violence. So unintentional violence. So of course you have to, that's why it's not an easy answer. It really isn't. Um, let's see. Um, what other stuff we are. Daniel Salborn, who's a supporter and a good man. It is unnecessary to assume that every child injury was caused by parents. Parents should be, feel safe bringing their children to the ER. Well, that's 100% the case. And again, that, that is going to be predicated on where you set the sensitivity of your child abuse screening protocols. Now, what we will have to do is get a child abuse expert on the show, pediatrician, and then someone who uh, feels that child abuse experts are overstepping and really have a conversation around a round table when we get our new studio, that would, be a, that would be a great conversation. And we could go deep on it. And I think it would be, that would be great. So let's try to plan on that. Um, there's no room in foster care, Miss Goody Two-Shoes, right? Ulbeck. If there, was child, if there was abuse and life and death risk, the parents would likely not have brought the child to the hospital immediately, especially since both parents are doctors and can make basic evaluations. Okay, let me pay, play devil's advocate. Um, and again, I'm not saying, I, I'm not saying this is happening. Let's, let me spin you a scenario. The dad is alone. Mother's gone. He's got the kids. The baby's crying and screaming. He loses his temper, kind of squeezes the baby, shakes the baby, pats the baby, whatever. Realizes immediately there's a broken clavicle, like he overdid it, put traction on the clavicle, whatever he did. Oh my God, I've injured this child. The love of that child and his knowledge of medicine says this child needs medical attention. I need to make sure nothing's wrong. His denial of the causative reason for the injury spins stories, and they may even be unconscious. I'm saying that that's another explanation that's valid. The way you prove that wrong is you actually look at the science and the pattern of injuries and expert testimony on both sides, and you go through the process, and that's what's happening. So... You know, it's, 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 again, it's a very tough thing. I want, 
when I read the article, I wanted to say, yeah, this guy's innocent. Why are they torturing him, right? But you really have to put on an objective hat, which you know, family and friends are not gonna be able to do. People who know him, they're not gonna be able to do that. Just like that ER doc, like friends and colleagues were like, no, he's innocent until he wasn't. So you have to go through the process. And again, I'm not saying these guys aren't innocent. I'm not saying this isn't a huge injustice. We just don't know. Um, C. Packer 1183 says, where did that comment go? I feel like they just deleted it. Yep, message retracted. Damn it. It was a good one too. I wish I'd read it carefully so I could read it anyways. Nicole Williams, isn't it unlikely that an abuser would go straight to the ER after hurting the child? No, it's not. Because in many, many cases, there's an instant regret and fear that the child is hurt. A lot of abusers don't want to hurt their child. They, there's some control issue or uh, impulse issue or anger issue, right? They aren't necessarily bad human beings. That's another thing, right? I mean, who hasn't lost their temper even with a child. Like I've been very, very, and I'll be perfectly honest with you, very lucky that I've never raised a hand, right? It is purely having an overdeveloped writer that prevents me because my emotional self, when, when sometimes when they're doing stuff, when they were younger, it's like, man, I'm underslept, I'm super angry, and I'm gonna lose my shit. And I have to basically talk myself off the ledge. And I'm a reasonably, you know, stable member of society. Imagine now you grew up in an abusive home. Imagine that you, all you've seen in your life is abuse. You see that as the currency of the realm. You now have a child. You're a single mom or a single dad or you're, you know, using substances, whatever it is. The threshold to abuse this child is just dropped dramatically. So I think there's a, there's, there's a cause for compassion all around here, right? Which means, again, so why would they bring them to the emergency department? Because they love their child. That's the thing, right? Um, CPACker1183 with comments back here. I was severely bullied in school. Any one of those injuries could have been labeled parental child abuse. Oh, my God. And that's terrible. And yeah. Exactly, right? Because you're actually being physically, but, but the child's story matters too, right? Now the child will try to cover up for the parents or be coerced into it, but you know they're gonna have to take that into consideration. Risa, what you're describing is normal. Just because you're a parent doesn't make you perfect. We're human. Well, I like to think I'm human, although I'm starting to think I live in the matrix. Um, well, this is true, and that's why, you know, it... it this is not a black or white issue. It really isn't. Um, I keep coming back to that. Um, Brian Parker says, so again, it might not be as closely related to this case, but please, please inform yourself and educate yourself about the quality of teachers, their education, level of maturity and complaints. And before he said, this may not, uh, that's a, oh, I was a preschool teacher for eight years. And sadly, we had a couple of people that were hired that had injured children and would push it off as something else. Oh my God. That is horrifying. Oh my God. That is so terrifying. Listen. Listen. Uh, there's no excuse for that. But I tell you, man, I have been in situations myself where I have just, it's so close, you know, to doing something stupid 
that you can understand why humans are humans, right? And just only by the grace of God do I not fuck up. This is why, you know, the story that I did a while back about um, uh, Nicole, Nikki, uh, Angler, who had left her child uh, in a car and the child died. She's a nurse practitioner. Again, acquitted after a criminal investigation. So she went through that process. I spoke with her and I did a lot of research on how this can happen. But for the grace of God, go we. You know, this can happen to good, smart, loving people because we're human beings. Dan Riddick, would you consider neglecting conditions as an equal abuse to the first degree abuse? My parents kept me from uh, the DR, the doctor for months uh, while I have severe pneumothorax, but they were honestly just naive. It's tough because that's just naivete. It's not intentional abuse. And, you know, it makes you think about anti-vaccine people and natural healing people who keep their kids at home when they have meningitis and the kid dies and... <sighs> You know, obviously the emotional bias there is to throw the book at them, but the human bias is, well, they, they think they're doing the right thing for their kids. So what do we do? You know, this is about education and, you know, better connecting uh, with, with these people. Um, I just noticed I'm looking at the video here and I'm slightly out of focus. I probably need to lean in like Sheryl Sandberg a little bit. Maybe. I don't know. Um, Lane T, the only absolute here is that there are no absolutes. Humanity is frail and oftentimes needs uh, a person to hang other injuries on. That is very true. Um, let's see if there's other comments we should read here. How reliable is the science of this stuff anyways, Sarvesh Lobana? Great question. That's where we need a good child abuse specialist on to go through. That. A lot of the articles have been sent to me. I haven't had a chance to read them. Um, let's, let's just say this, our science in general, any topic is still fucking infantile. Like it's still at the proto stage, even our best science, which is good. It's good. It's not great. Our peer review process is kind of wacky. There's a negative, uh, there's a bias against publishing negative studies. There's a lot of shit, man. So we have to just do a lot better. It doesn't mean you abandon science. It means you re-triple your efforts to do science well. This is what I hate. Well, science, man, it doesn't work, man. All of it's bullshit, so let's just fuck it. No, that's not the answer. You don't go, oh, you know, the light bulb isn't working great. Fuck it, we don't need light bulbs. No, you go, fucking, how do I make a better light bulb? How do I do science better? How do I science the fuck out of this? That's what you ask yourself. And then you start creating processes using science. The scientific method, hypothesis, Fucking methods, experiment, conclusion, the next experiment. Okay, it's a, it's a, it's a method. It's not a, a dogma. Uh, but it's a great question. Andrew Dunbar with another five bucks, brother. It is important to recognize that medical professionals routinely operate with standards of proof inadequate for standards of criminal proceedings. This is true. This is a very good point. At some point, we'll get uh, Dave Magnus on here to talk more about the bioethics of that. Because we, we do, we, we kind of, um, our standards of proof are very different than, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt. Um, so what happens to his other children? Are they not worried about them too, Nicole Williams? They're still there, which is interesting. 
So there's that. And again, I don't know more. Daniel Salborn, Z, I often read bone surveys for child abuse cases. Uh, Daniel's a radiologist. Um, there is a trend among peds raids to over-report findings or make vague findings sound relevant to the report. Okay, Daniel, mm, this is one of the accusations in the article against child abuse specialists that they push over-reading and spinning in the chart, revising your language to support child abuse accusations. If this is true, this is a massive systemic problem to crank artificially the sensitivity upwards to the point where you're artificially, I mean, it's unconscionable what that does because what it does is it puts innocence right, like this family is claiming to be, through a, a, a hellish ordeal. I mean, it can't be described any other way. It's like being in hell. So thank you for bringing that up because others have pointed this out and it's a thing that we have, we cannot fail to mention is a possibility that needs to be looked at. Now again, the child abuse specialist will say, maybe there's a component of that, but it's a larger component that we're under diagnosing. But so we'd have to, Figure that out. Um, let's see. Sarvesh says, yeah, I totally agree. This just tells us how hard it is to observe the universe objectively. Yeah, agreed. And we can get back to, you know, it, it, everything is kind of slightly relative, but there are certain truths that emerge the more you look. And the more you look, the new truths emerge and new questions emerge. And that's the nature of the universe. And it is hard and it's messy because um, we're just barely out of the primordial lose ourselves. Um, Daniel Sauerborn, it's not intended to cause harm, but it's because mandated reporters are legally required to report, quote unquote, everything. Yeah, so it's part of the, again, it's part of our structure. Um, Pam McFarland, or P. McFarland, it's like the story of the nurse practitioner who accidentally left her baby in the car, two sides of a motor. So that, I just brought that up earlier. Uh, Nikki Angler, that was the story. And if you haven't seen that piece uh, where I sort of lose it even in the video, it's a tough one, man, because again, I had heard the criminal side of this, I'd heard from people who were accusing her, and then I heard from her, her lawyer, uh, and her husband, and I mean, it was, I didn't realize, you know, at the time, I was so overcome with that whole thing, I didn't realize how hard it is actually even being an observer of that, because you have to go through mentally what it's like to leave your child in a car until they die, uh, what it's like then going through the legal process, what it's like having people accuse you of being a basically a child murderer, and that's how you feel inside. And then, you know, talking to everybody involved and feeling that emotion, it, it, it was pretty hard on me, and I didn't lose a child. I, I think for a couple of weeks, I was really fucked up. Like, I had trouble sleeping. It was almost like a... Um, it's what I talk about when we talk about empathy versus compassion. Compassion is love and concern and a desire to help in the face of suffering. Empathy is feeling someone's pain as your own. Feeling someone's pain as your own. Feeling someone's pain as your own is terrible. It is excruciating. Compassion is understanding someone's pain, being able to understand it, not taking it as your own, but then wanting to, wanting to help feeling love in the face of that suffering, right? 
That's rational compassion. And that sometimes means tough love. It sometimes means doing things that could cause pain in the short run, but that will help in the long run, or that may hurt one person, but will help a lot of other people. And empathy doesn't allow you to do that because you don't empathize with a population. You empathize with a person. Empathy has a narrow spotlight. Um, hmm. So Whitney Price, I'd be mortified taking my sons to the peds with bruises and scrapes. Uh, she said she's more worried about pristine kids because rough play is necessary for development. That's interesting. That's interesting. Um, so anyways, uh, Corey Emerson, what about the nonverbal individuals? Oh, how often is their situation labeled as abuse when in reality their caregiver is keeping them safe? So this is tough. So uh, 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 kids with any kind of developmental abnormalities, severe autism, cerebral palsy, it doesn't matter what it is, this is tough. Because how do you distinguish abuse from other injuries, from neglect, from, oh my God, that's a whole nother thing that we're just out of the scope of this discussion and I'm already depressed. So <laughs> if I have to talk about that, I'm just gonna lose my shit. Um, Carol McNichols, welcome to the Super Pack, girl. Thank you for joining. The Super Pack, for people who don't understand that, is a YouTube thing we do where people can sign up for as little as $4.99 a month to support the show, get an exclusive channel on the community page, and uh, you know get special posts from me and support everything we do. And it's like $4.99, $9.99, or $49.99. If you do, if you do $49.99, you are Wakanda Forever. That's the name of the tier. And I make you a personalized shout out video that you can do with as you please. Put it online, send it to your friends, have it done for a friend once a month, as long as you're a monthly subscriber. So that stuff really supports the show. We have quite a few supporters now on YouTube and I'm excited to see it growing and growing. The Facebook supporter crew is already huge, right? But I like to see it grow on YouTube because it's just a different vibe. Um, so thank you, Carol, for joining us. Um, Elena Putnam, this situation breaks my heart because those healthcare providers probably had the best of intentions, but when armed with a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So that's another thing, right? So if you, when you have super specialization, that's a risk that when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Again, I don't know what's going on in this case. We just can't know. It's important that the article um, came out because I think it raises awareness of this idea as it could be a problem. The problem is you don't want to stigmatize and kind of criminalize the child abuse pediatricians in general. Because like I said, it's a thankless job. It's hard to do. They are the specialists. So they know stuff that we don't know too, right? Um, <clears throat> although we could learn it. So we should. We should try to be broadly educated on this stuff. Um, so, um, this is one last comment here. Dan Riddick, my wife's a dentist and has commented that doctors aren't as typically taught to be cognizant of oral signs of abuse. Could teaching oral signs of abuse to doctors and nurses be part of the solution? So, I don't know even what that means. So, damage in the mouth? Um, this is interesting because obviously we're not taught that. At least I'm not. I imagine the child abuse pediatricians know about it, but I, certainly I'm not. So that's something I could be educated on. It's really interesting. And I know dentists, dentists actually are sentinels for oral cancer, for other kind of uh, things that they pick up that doctors won't typically see on their quick-ass mouth exam. Um, all right. 
I think we, uh, I think we did a thing. Um, one last one. Cause Andrew sent me another five bucks. God bless you, Andrew, Andrew Dunbar. It may be a mistake to ask doctors to step into the role of criminal investigator just through the completion of residency and fellowship, right? Well, and they shouldn't be, they should do their medical job, document accurate medical records, and then leave the criminal shit to the criminal justice system. That's, I mean, you know, they can be expert witnesses and all that, but like you stick to the medicine. That's what you do. You're not a legal expert. Um, yeah, that's all. I, you know, it's funny. I, I'm going to end this by saying this. First of all, thanks to everybody who supports the show. It means a lot to me. I didn't really want to even talk about this today because, you know, I hadn't really prepared for it. I, it, it's such a complex and nuanced topic. And then I said, you know what? Fucking the cleaning people are in the house right now and I need to get out of the house. I'm just going to go live and I don't know what I'm going to talk about. Maybe I'll now just talk about this and see what happens. And I think with your help, I think we had a decent discussion. I probably didn't hit everything that I wanted to hit. But because of you guys and your back and forth with me, I think that's what makes these discussions interesting for me. So thank you for that. Thank you for being with us. Thanks for everything you do to support the show. Stay tuned. We recorded a bunch of stuff. There's new Vader out. There's other clips coming. Um, I'm going to be gone for the next couple days. You may not hear from me, but you'll hear from me when I'm back. And I'll be woke as fudge. So guys, I love you. Thanks. Share this. Subscribe to YouTube or whatever platform you like. Try to support us in some way just by sharing or liking or leaving a comment, leaving your wisdom. And we out, which means now I do the awkward walk of shame where I go click the button. Come with me, fam. Let's do the awkward walk of shame. The love boat soon will be making another run. Hey, it's Dr. Z. Thanks for getting through the whole episode. That's a huge accomplishment. <laughs> and so at this point, I just got to ask you for a few favors because it just helps us so much if you leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. It, it just really helps the algorithm to get this message out to others. The second thing is email me, hello at zdogmd.com. I get all these emails personally. I can't respond to them all, but I need to hear your voice because especially on podcast, we don't have a comment section. And I want to hear how this episode affected you, what you'd like to hear in the future, what you think we got wrong, what we think we got right, anything, anything, or just say hi. So that's really powerful. And the third thing is financially, it helps us a lot to support the show in any way you can. And if you go to zdogmd.com forward slash supporters, you can join our supporter tribe on your favorite platform, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, wherever. What that will get you on those platforms is live shows with me that are exclusive for supporters and access to our Zoom meetings where we talk about awakening realization and we share with each other our own experience. It's a powerful group effect. It's a community, really. And we support and love each other and share, again, through our own experience, how we're waking up. So, and that that ripples out into systems, into transforming healthcare and education and government. So it st really starts with us. So join us there if you can. Again, zdogmd.com forward slash supporters. And I'm so grateful to have you with us.